Welcome back, episode 21 of the Irish Empire podcast. Today we have Rebecca Fitzpatrick. Rebecca, thanks for joining us. No worries, I'm Welcome. so happy to be here. It's uh, episode 21, we did not sell the microphones and uh, we put them up on Facebook Market but no one bit, so we're back, <laughs> here, we're back here for another 20 episodes. And Damo set a trend because Rebecca brought gifts as well, Rebecca yes. bought us yes. a bottle of wine. Yes, she did, and that might be finished by the end of the podcast. <laughs> so so uh, welcome Rebecca. Thank you. Um, it's uh, so. C- can you explain what exactly you're a psychologist? Yeah, psychologist, yeah. right? Because I've got this wrong already once, so I'm not going to get it wrong again. <laughs> it's the worst. That is it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's a very common. Well, I'd like to think. What's what, the difference? What's a psychiatrist the, yeah. is someone who's gone through. Uh, medical school they've finished that and they can prescribe so like if you have adhd and you need for example dex amphetamines or dexies that's where you would go to and then um, i'm a psychologist so you would um, maybe get like your six or ten sessions with myself we could talk about a whole range of issues and support you um that way and really like everything from um trauma depression anxiety stress all of those things Um, yeah, and psychology is, um, to be a psychologist, you do your uni degree, then you do a two-year internship after that, and it's full on. So I did that over here, and we got to go to Sydney for a couple of times, so that was good fun. Nice. Yeah, loved it. It was good fun. Met some really cool people that way. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the difference. So why, why psychology? What made you get into that initially? I, um, uh, yeah, there's a lot, like, I think whenever we're younger as well in schools, like, there's a lot of suicides, there was a lot of um, people who just weren't happy, and a lot of people in, like, in Ireland, of course, like, who, no one's an alcoholic, they're just fond of a drink, so <laughs> a lot of that just wasn't mixed at, like, meeting for me, and I just wasn't sure about what to do, and um, then whenever I was about 16, I actually went to see a counsellor, and it changed a lot of things for me, so I thought, oh, wouldn't that be nice to pass that on? Um, a little bit so yeah I started went to uni at 18 over in Scotland in Glasgow and it was great um, and then yeah unfortunately we lost a few more friends to suicide um, and I thought you know like if they're just getting prescribed medication that's just not gonna it's yeah. not gonna do it we're gonna lose more people that way so that's why I really went into like youth and focusing and working with them and supporting them so yeah it's been really good and then I went to um Slovakia randomly got an internship for over there and um it's with the European Union and they were giving out tons of grants and things at the time so um I went over there and lived there for three or four months like working in a psychiatry hospital like or with psychiatry as well and working in the hospitals and working with like the elderly um breaks my heart I love old people so like (laughs) I can't like I would love to take everyone home which is terrible um yeah, and I suppose in the hospital model, and especially in Slovakia, it's very different. It was just, um, yeah. Is it as good as Ireland? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> on par. It's on even par. Yeah, nah, they were far behind. So they were, they kind of, like, if you had a, a brain injury, one of the tests are like, see if you can walk in a straight line. And um, normally it's pretty measured out. Yeah. Um, but there they just kind of got duct tape and even I could see the line was a bit off. I was like, this isn't fair. <laughs> got the clients to put the tape down. Yeah. <laughs> so it was good. And then, um, yeah, I loved that. It was really good. But so, yeah, a lot of things got lost in translation over there. They thought I was a psychiatrist yeah, and yeah. I wasn't. So they gave me the big white jacket, first of all. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. <laughs> and I didn't know much of the language. So I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
But then they put me for a day with like 30 inpatients in the hospital and I was the only one in charge. Oh my God, it was hectic. <laughs> so um, yeah, it really kicked off from there. And then at one stage, ugh, I was left for like the full day and I didn't really know what to say, what not to say. Just I knew things had kind of, yeah, definitely gone lost and got lost in translation at that stage. And um, there only two people spoke a little bit of English. So where I was trying to communicate to everyone, um, you know, like just bit by bit. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was... Is, is it a job that you love or does yeah. it get a bit overwhelming at times when you're dealing with certain cases or... Um, it depends. It's, I do love it. Yeah. I do like I find with psychology you have to be very aware like not to kind of burn out or not to um take on too much or like really you know, like I know self-care is talked about quite a lot but um you know that kind of has to be front and center all the time to make sure that you're not getting fatigued there's been some really complex um cases and there's been like times where I haven't felt safe with people and yeah. you know where you know you might have been threatened or um you know I suppose some of the people that I would have worked with have maybe just come out of prison and the the world is overwhelming. You know, like you're trying to get your, your center link sorted out. You're trying to get your family sorted out. You might be trying to stay off drugs or alcohol and they just want to get back into prison at that stage. So yeah, um, there's been a couple of times when you don't feel so safe, but I do absolutely love it. I love being able to help people and support people. So I love doing the one-to-one work. And then I also like to see strategy for businesses change and see what the policies are and drive that. So I'm on a, a board of a company as well, just to try and, um, yeah, give that lens yeah. as well. So it's not like just the one-to-ones, it's kind of helping businesses too. So, so, so you've, it's, it's brought you to different countries, um, you know, and then, so when, when did you come to Australia and then make your way to Perth? And is this somewhere where you're going to stay for now or yeah. is it just a stepping stone or you don't know yet? Don't know. Yeah. It's so hard. Like I love Perth and I think you guys have been talking as on the podcast about that. Do we stay? Do we not? Do we go? Are we settled? It's the main thing, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it? Oh, goodness. It's, it's, yeah, it's so hard. So we came to Perth about eight or nine years ago. Yeah, yep. And um, my brother was out here. I think the classic is, do we go to Canada or do you go to Australia yeah. for a lot of us, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> like, do you go to Whistler and like live your best life or do you come here? And I had just been to Ireland, uh, or winter in Ireland. So we're like, meh. We're coming over to Perth, <laughs> and I loved it. Like it was so nice. So um, yeah, we said it was hard to get work initially because I had to get all my qualifications and all transferred over. So one of my first jobs was a a taco. <laughs> I had to dress up as a taco and hand out leaflets. And I had like my little taco shell and lettuce hanging out the side yeah. of me. And it was 40 degrees and all my friends were going off to the pub. And I was like, I hate this bloody country. <laughs> Everyone ha- we've all had them. Mine was, mine, mine was washing cars in a Bondi Junction. Oh, really? Yeah, that was my first job in Australia. Did you ring home and tell your family that you had that job? Yeah, there's photos of it. <laughs> I was like, Mom, I'm quitting. She's like, You can't, you need a job. I was like, I'm a taco. I'm a taco. <laughs> like, I can be a psychologist at home, but I'm a taco over here. <laughs> you're, you're so, a shell of the person you yeah, used to be. 
<laughs> I really was. <laughs> I was so sad seeing everyone go to the pub. I know we chatted beforehand there. You were chatting about visas and Adwina yeah. King, who was on the podcast. And yeah, Adwina awesome. helped you out, did she? She saved us. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Shout we out, were, Adwina. Yeah. <laughs> everyone go to Adwina. Run. <laughs> Don't walk. <laughs> Honestly, she... And she was so calm about it. Our visa situation was really quite um, complex. There was a visa agent in Perth. Um, I won't say his name just in case, but I know a lot of people from Ireland went to him. And, um, yeah, he really screwed them over. And um, he just wasn't getting back in contact with us. And then his office was his home. So I was like, right, we need to get in contact with him because we haven't heard anything. Um yeah, and we went up to the house and he was just off his head. Um, yeah, it was really bad. Yeah. And he was just like, nah, I'm not giving you any more information. Um, and then I phoned immigration directly the next day and they're like, your visa's been declined. You have 21 days to leave the country because it had been declined. It's for a horrible six, feeling, six isn't it? Oh, nightmare. Even talking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was horrendous. So then, you know, like, you know what it's like with visas sometimes? It's 12 grand here, 12 grand there. Yeah. So we went to another person um, and we had to appeal it and they took it on for a little while. And then after a little while, they said, nah, it's too complex. We're not going to, I don't want it. I don't want um, a spoil on my record, really, because she didn't think it was going to go through. So that was crap. And we kind of were thinking, all right, we're going to have to go home. And this agent had told us, just pack your bags and go. There's no hope for you. And then we're like, right, well, we'll try it, Dwayne. Mm. And honestly, it was like something out of, oh, she was fabulous. She came, she met us in um, a hotel. She had a glass of rose and she's like, oh, you're not going anywhere. You're staying right here. <laughs> and just from that, when someone's so confident and calm. Yeah. And just from chatting to Dwayne, she's, she loves a problem. Yeah. Like she loves, she's a problem solver. She's and, going out with Gary. He's a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> Only mess in Gaza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she'll, she'll be delighted to hear this as well. Obviously, oh, it's, it's, she um, knows. I'll write reviews for her all day. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, she's just so wonderful. So we just loved um, working with her, and we're still with her now, waiting for hopefully our permanent residency to come through. Brilliant. Mm, so that'll be good. We've done the Bali runs, we've done visa runs, uh, all of those things. Did you guys have smooth sealing with your No, visa? nobody has. No, <laughs> no <laughs> we're, we're, we're just a little older, so we yeah. just done ours a, a while back. It seems like a, a long time ago, but mm. no, definitely not. Um, I overstayed my visa. Um, to, Did to, you? Yeah, yeah, to a certain extent. And um, I was told I couldn't get a visa like that, but I was lucky back then that there was someone over in Melbourne that, that, mm. that got it through for me in the end. So, no, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was pretty, uh, a very, very stressful time. And, um, and it is for everybody. That's why I can relate to yeah. the people uh, struggling to get visas nowadays. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just with, uh, with your, do you feel when you came to Perth mm. that your role, you it enhanced when when where's been the peak of your career do you think so far um, um what's the most challenging part being it's taken on a we did like australia definitely has a lot of opportunities here there's no denying that so like november last year i was speaking at optus stadium that was 650 people really? so like those are kind of like peak moments which is great That's so cool. i set up my own consultancy then so i could do a bit more public speaking to companies or whoever needed it 
Um, and then I was at a law firm there giving a presentation on like psychological safety in the workplace. So like that's cool that it can take on like those different areas as well. Um, what's one of the peaks? Yeah, maybe leaving the taco job. That was quite good <laughs> to leave that behind. <laughs> um, no, it's been so cool. Like I was doing um, working with a company that was focused on um, disability. So like, and I know lots of people have um, diagnosis who are neurodiverse or have ADHD or autism. So being able to work with um, people who, you know, a lot of psychologists, we just don't get trained in that. So you really have to go off and specialize and look into that. So doing a bit of autism assessment and diagnosis was really... Um, is there level? Is there levels of autism in terms mm. of the people have like... Like you, know, you might say like someone like me, like oh, you might have someone a touch of autism. Mm. Is that or and then you like how big are the levels that they go up or? Yeah, so there's three levels. Right. One is um, level one is around your social communication. Level two is around um, you know if maybe if you find it challenging. So with autism, you can have um, verbal impairment. You might be able to speak. You know, you might be nonverbal, but also like social communication, like that back and forth. Um, and then level three is when you need constant support or you might need long-term support with that. So that might be you might need live-in supports because you mightn't, um, yeah, you might need additional supports. So it's definitely, yeah. yeah. See, with the ADHD, yeah. I find, oh no, I, I haven't a clue, but I'm just assuming, I feel like everyone has ADHD mm. and I feel like everyone's taking Dexies and yeah. they're just throwing them out like, yeah is, is, that, is that true or is there some mm-hmm. sort of truth to that where yeah. it's an easy diagnosis it's like right there you go these are the there are and there's definitely some psychiatrists who are probably a little bit more inclined to do it but what we're seeing is like a rise in dexies as well for eating disorders too because it's a stimulant so it stops your appetite or suppresses your appetite too so it's not only for like adhd but a lot of people are using that to kind of suppress and lose weight and maintain um that way but yeah adhd is everywhere at the moment Mm. i feel like what would it have been a little while ago i think every so often there's these new words that come up and there's these new things so like resilience was a big one that was around and i think it still is around too um yeah and i think i don't think resilience is fair because it puts the blame on the person you need to be more resilient instead of okay let's take a step back and say what the hell is going on here that's actually contributing to that but yeah adhd but there's a lot of people who probably have it and were undiagnosed like i always think back to like primary schools and i think yeah they tried to diagnose me with it did they yeah well the teachers wanted me to go and get tested and my ma didn't want me to go and get tested so we just never did we turned out all right (laughs) (laughs) and i think adhd can often be um misdiagnosed as well i don't know too much about your history to be honest but like trauma is sometimes um misdiagnosed as adhd adhd because if you think about um trauma it's kind of hard to concentrate you mightn't be able to um sit still you might be on edge you might feel fidgety um and often in primary schools it it can be kind of difficult to diagnose that have have they done studies on where it might have started ADHD? adhd yeah it's um your typical um, what came first you're is it your environment or is yeah. it um, genetics too yeah so um, in my experience working directly with people I would say I'm just thinking of a few people mm. 
when you start to look back at the family history, you can probably see, um, you know, that there could be a little bit um, of a train there. Yeah. But that could also be as well, like, yeah. So do you reckon from a childhood it could be like a lack of attention? And then as they're getting older, they're seeking it and they're crying out for it. So that would be like attachment. So I suppose there's like um, ADHD is probably more, um, it can be more neurological. So more like it's organic, it's in the brain, it's it's there. Um, and with ADHD, the the thing to give is dexamphetamines because it's a stimulant. And then while the brain's already quite stimulated, it helps to focus that stimulation in a sense. Um, yeah, I think... Sometimes people do present with ADHD where it could be that there's a lot of things that have happened in the family. There could be um, quick changes of circumstances. There could be um, a lot of shouting, rowing growing up. So the kid might always look a wee bit on edge or yeah. quite nervy or, yeah. you know, and unfortunately I think sometimes that gets misdiagnosed. Um, but yeah, there's ways to support that as well. Like if you don't want to go down the medication route. Yeah. Um, but I would say if you're trying to do strategies and you're interested in medication, do them both together um, because there's a lot of mindfulness, there's a lot of deep breathing and things. Yeah. yeah. What and happened you, with your... Did, did you ever follow it up or anything? Or Just got expelled. Did you? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> did you well, after that, I turned out already. Yeah. <laughs> your mother was like, should I got that diagnosis? <laughs> should I got <gotten> the nexies? <laughs> but school's not for everyone, is that? Becca, when you're out with your friends and all, do you find yourself in a way diagnosing people that not just chatting yeah. to people and just coming across like traits that they might have or, um, or or do you just literally just put that and just enjoy yourself you can't help it right so you learn all of these things your brain's not going to shut off yeah. so <laughs> i know you're all now i've got you said yeah. no i don't <laughs> but it was funny we were doing like um so my new job that i've just started we were doing like a leadership thing and um we had to write a little bit about each person and one of the guys and I said a little bit about him and I was like, look, I think you're pretty closed off. But I think once people are in your inner circle, they're very much in. I think um, you probably overthink things quite a bit. You've got very high expectations of yourself. And he's like, that really is me. <laughs> and he looks so shocked. But I was like, it's those things that you just pick up with people, like from working with people one to one. So and um, do you yeah. get people that um it's kind of a two-sided question. Do you get people that kind of like think that you're judging them or you're, or you're reading them? And then also, do you get people asking you your opinion on them? Yeah, I definitely, mm-hmm. the second one. Mm-hmm. I don't, like, um, I'm lucky. I think people just know that I just want to have the chat and a good time and like get to know people. And like, I think I ask loads of questions because I'm just yeah. naturally curious anyway. Yeah. So for me being in this seat for a change, yeah. it feels really odd because <laughs> normally I'm the one asking the questions or, yeah. you know, right. You tell me everything. I'm not going to tell you, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is definitely a role reversal here, but um, yeah, I think people, they want to know people are all very curious or like some of my friends, like, um, yeah, they've come up to me a few times. One's been curious, like, if they do meet criteria for autism, um, especially for females, that's really hard to diagnose um, because females will mask it a lot faster um, because we kind of are socially orientated. You know, like to sit in, watch stuff, chat with girls, whereas boys are kind of 
generally socially oriented to go outside run amok and you burn off all this energy so yeah um i've definitely had a few friends come up and be like do you think i meet criteria how does it work with your partner do you have you picked oh, yeah, he gets <laughs> <laughs> like, i was thinking the exact same thing oh, yeah. <laughs> sit down on this couch here <laughs> i know handle what's wrong <laughs> nice um really good i think sometimes he'll be like stop psychologizing me i was like i don't think i am and i was like oh yeah yeah maybe yeah. <laughs> has he ever won an argument and you said no i'm wrong, I'm wrong in this situation <laughs> he's getting better at that. <laughs> he knows how to work me out um yeah he's he's great he um yeah he, he's used to it and he like i think um if i get a really cool assessment that i do that it's, i find useful then i'm like oh daniel do you want to try this like for a mad friday night <laughs> so we'll be doing like a i'm like oh i just wonder what your depression anxiety and stress scale is <laughs> so i'll give him we'll just see it and then there's a good thing yeah. like print profiles which are personality assessments yeah yeah um so yeah we have done a few of them and it's just i think I just find it all very curious. And in Slovakia, whenever I was there, they did, um, they're more old school, I guess, the Rosh Arts test, which is, um, did you ever see the ink blots and then you have to try and say what yeah, you see? Yeah, yeah. Those butterfly. kind of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, Daniel, you've got ADD. And he was like, what's that? And I was like, that's annoying Daniel disorder. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, expl- so, explain that a bit more. What does that actually mean? Like, I've seen that in, in movies and all. The or, Rosh Arts? Yeah. Yeah. That was based a little bit on um, Freud and it's a little bit about like your perception of the world and how you see things. And there's a whole manual behind it. So if you see a rabbit, it explains all of that. I don't, I wouldn't use it. Like it's very like, for me, it's outdated, but yeah. What does it mean though? If I see, just say I see a rabbit and Gary sees something else. What does that mean about me? Yeah, it can be a little bit more about like... um, I'm sure there's a whole criteria behind yeah. it. Yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah. processes yeah. or like how you think. Are you a creative thinker? Are you more like kind of rigid in your right, thought yeah. styles? Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, for example, when I do um, with the autism assessments and if we do like an um, there's an autism assessment to do, it's really interesting some of the things that you'll hear or mm. some of the things that come out. And it's just very revealing. Like, so... Um, we might do associations, like a round of like word associations, um, and say jug, you might think juice, water, whereas probably some of the things that I've heard with um, you know, people who may have autism, it might necessarily connect. It could be jug, and the next thing it could be sky, because they yeah. might just think of yeah, <laughs> something yeah. very different. You'd be like, oh, this is really insightful about where your thought process is. So it's just a way to kind of understand like how you're getting to that. Um, and does it all start in childhood? Yeah, a lot of it does. <laughs> yeah, plot spoiler. <laughs> Time is everything. Yeah. So you were a psychologist in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And then you moved, when you came to Australia, you had to go out to Sydney and study. Yeah. yeah. So oh, um, that must have been difficult. Yeah. Did you have to re-study all the same stuff? Mm, yep so it was do you know what it's always good it's always good to brush up on these things let's just kind of have uh, not when you're dressed as a taco no <laughs> it's not worth it is it <laughs> oh my gosh and that was just one of the jobs oh horrendous ones um yeah yeah so you had to go and study and then um the worst part of it was is like they we had accommodation so it was all pre-covid it's all done online now and we were staying at this nunnery and i was freaked out because someone was in like buried there as well and I was like I'm not going to get my sleep this is too scary um but luckily I met one of my best friends she's a psychologist too um 
and everyone would kind of stay on to do the night classes from like seven to nine and we'd just go drink rosé it was beautiful nice. so <laughs> nice. you kind of have to make it work for you yeah, don't you? yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned them um, working with uh prisoners or ex-prisoners yeah. at what point in your life was that and you know for a young woman was that intimidating mm-hmm. did it ever get scary like you mm-hmm. you, you kind of yeah. touched on it before what was yeah. the my first probably um I've worked with a few murderers, both who were like, <laughs> um, that's an interesting story. I can that's that's, that's very interesting, in fairness. Yeah. yeah. You don't really meet so, so many people who... Mm-mm. I went through a wee phase of like, literally within a few months, um, I can't go into too much detail about um, the clients, but I can tell you about this other person. Um, yeah, and they had just kind of come out of prison it's very overwhelming for people coming out. And I was actually driving home one day and I saw the police tape um, in this park, and I won't name it. And I was like, oh, someone's probably been murdered. That looks like a murder scene, all the white tents and everything were off. And the next day I came in and I had the Department of Homicide, um, the Homicide Squad contacting me to discuss um, what was going on for this person. Um, so, yeah, it was um, really, some of those things really make you think, oh, you know, um, that person hadn't engaged, didn't engage, but then been linked to my name um, and the police could find it because they had presented. But, um, yeah, a couple of other things. So, so you know, I feel like it's so interesting when you're working with people. And I think methamphetamines have a lot to do. Like, meth is just, yeah. you really, really lose all contact with reality, I guess. Like, I feel like in Ireland there was a lot of heroin, and that wasn't as intimidating when you're walking down the street and you're seeing people who are maybe, you know, passed out with heroin, whereas meth is just yeah, <laughs> so much energy. You yeah. just don't know what they're going to do next. Yeah. And I'm really vigilant to that because I've seen, like, people just... They're a different, they're a different person, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Do you have a... Is there a protocol when you go to meet some of these people in terms of... Do you mm. meet them is it in an office or do you meet them yeah. home visits or... Meet them in an office. I wouldn't be going, oh, it's yeah. just not. Meet them in the hills. Yeah, meet them <laughs> where it's quiet. Oh. Um, but like, even, even in your office, like even like with, with dangerous people and all, is there any protocol for like you've been left in the room alone with people or? Yeah, there's duress alarms everywhere. So that's right. so important. Because um, at the moment um, where I'm working, we oversee um, Casuarina Prison, uh, Banksia, Baronia, Warloo, um and a few others so it's quite interesting and it's interesting um the prison culture as well that you know it's really its own it's its own force to be reckoned with um there's so many lockdowns at the moment and banksia hill as well it's for the youth um unfortunately they're just kind of in lockdown for 22 hours a day and that's why there's so many riots at the moment so um yeah i think prison itself is so interesting I think it's really tough for people who've maybe been in prison for a long time trying to reintegrate. Um, there was a guy who had murdered, and that was and he's been in for 32 years, and he's coming out now and trying to... If you think about how much Perth has changed even in the last 10 years... Absolutely, yeah. And trying to get your head around this new world that we're in, like technology, cars, you know, 
phones, everything yeah. that we think is commonplace. And that's not to empathise, but that's just, yeah. it's just so difficult coming back out. Sort of proper institutionalised. Mm, yeah, it can be really tough. Mm. And then, yeah, one of the people I came across, um, he just wanted to go back in. Really? Mm, and would that be a scary thing? Because do you feel like they do something to go back in? Yeah. Yeah. He was carrying a weapon, just waiting to go back in. That's interesting because the, the movie The Shawshank Redemption kind of mm. touches on that where mm. he was in there so long, he just wanted to go back yeah. to what he knew and to his friends, yeah. We were thinking about our normal everyday lives and how we kind of go in and out of that. Um, we get used to it. We get used to amount of like cortisol throw, flowing through, adrenaline, all of those things. So when we even have a period of downtime, like whenever you're going on holidays, you might get sick before you go. Your body's starting to wind down. There's less adrenaline flowing through the body. So that's when your body's like literally starting to um, wind down. But I think um, for what I've noticed as well, for like people who've been in high stress environments or prison and or, you know, very traumatic backgrounds or backgrounds where it's unsafe at times like if you try and come out of that really quickly it's so hard because your body's just not used to it it's not used to trying to be relaxed or if you're in prison you always have to be on 24 7 so trying to um come out of that way of thinking just very quickly it's very very difficult so i can understand why people would probably feel a sense of security and their normality in the routine that is prison but it's so interesting. I love Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. <laughs> do you find, um, when you're speaking to these murderers, do you find some of them are sorry for what they're doing and do you find that some of them aren't sorry? Mm. Yeah. Any remorse? Remorse is the word. Yeah. I, yeah. <clears throat> I think sometimes as well, you have to, um, <coughs> when you're sitting working with people, you're kind of looking to see what's matching up where and where's some inconsistencies I guess um so saying that someone's sorry for anything um but then they might go out and do something that is harmful to a person or harmful to the community um you can just try and assess what their motivation is then to actually change or to make a change um and if you think about prisoners and kind of that demographic they're all survivors they're just trying to get their needs met like so if they want to get out of somewhere or if they want to get more smokes or if they want to get drugs in prison they know who to talk to and they know where to go to get that and they know all of those things so um yeah there's definitely people who and that you can if you think back to like if they were a child and you know they were maybe weren't getting the support they needed at home maybe they've been in foster care maybe their family have just been really neglectful maybe there's been drug and alcohol there you have to people are survivors like and that's yeah. just what you do so yeah i think people will because i think sometimes once you're in the prison the justice system people are worried that everything they tell you will go to the department of justice that was my next question yeah. <laughs> do you ever have someone just sitting there saying no i'm glad i don't they deserved it mm. you have mm. yeah that's a bit wild but yeah definitely people can be very of course not, not i suppose um that's more of the prison population they want to know where the information's going, where it's stored, um, where it's going to go to, will it uh, impact on their parole. Um, so in my previous, not the one that I'm working at now, but in my previous workplace, there was no affiliation. It was just that they could come there. It was only if it gets subpoenaed or if someone's an immediate risk of harm to themselves or anyone else that we would disclose that. But um, yeah. Did so, you yeah. 
Did you um, have? Has there ever been a case that stays with you, or, or someone that you've spoke to that stays with you um, mm. for not not just for bad, but for 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 good? Like you know, yeah. um, that you get very connected to, mm-hmm. or is there any certain one that you've brought home with you and you've been very stressed and couldn't sleep after mm-hmm. it, or any 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 yeah. any any ones like that? Just in your said like there's. Like, I feel very lucky whenever I'm sitting with someone and they're telling me what's going on. Like, I can't express that enough. It's just such um, a unique space to be in. And I'm always very um, respectful. Like, all psychologists are, like, we're always very uh, grateful and appreciative that they're choosing to share all of those things that have gone on. And that's, like, it's the real nitty-gritty of being a human. You know, some of the things that we hear. Um, Some beautiful things I've heard as well is... um, Definitely a lot of the immigrant population is up working in Mirabuka. Um, oh, and they're just honestly, they, like they make me cry out of happiness afterwards. Obviously, whenever I'm sitting with someone, I'm very contained. Um, but yep, there was a guy and he'd been tortured by the Taliban and um, oh, spinal discs and all were removed. And he had a young um, son with a disability and then another son who became like, the adult in the family because he was the interpreter he was able to kind of interpret the language and they were just so motivated to do what they could when they were here and if you're um yeah and then he ended up bringing the whole family to a session once because he just found it so useful yeah. <laughs> and I was like oh okay <laughs> I'll explain to you all what it is and I can set you up with appointments like individually yeah. for com- <laughs> like for confidentiality but yeah they were probably you know, and I love the ones who are kind of think, oh, I don't know if they'll really get much out of psychology. Like, yeah, I'm a young female. They've maybe like lived life. Like, what what do they think of me? Because they might think, oh, who's this girl telling me what to think? And it's not about telling you what to think. It's giving you the space to debrief. Um, so I've had a couple of people like that who are maybe um, yeah. 60s or so. And they're like, well, well, what are you going to do? You, you're barely out of the cot kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, they end up to be just delightful as well. Um, just, I think it's just human nature. You want to suss out who you're talking to, don't you? Not to be a bit darker, but have, has anyone, have you ever been with someone who has expressed the wish to murder or to kill um, again or? Yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, no, not succinctly, I guess, but, um, that kind of wish to go back into prison yeah. and it, at what cost, who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely a lot of like harm to self or harm to others. So I do like a lot of work um, with the police and like welfare checks um, with that. But yeah. Right, that was it. So do you get, do you get someone's brief of their history from like, like when you go in and chat to someone, do you actually go through what they've done and, mm-hmm. and their history maybe? before you see them or is it just a case that you just have to go in this guy's coming out of prison that's it that's all you get prison ones yes yeah like general population no no um there's a couple of people groups of counselors in the prisons at the moment and you get really detailed um i would say almost too much information about what's going on and what's happened because it's really building a picture in your head and that's just not it's not helpful for anyone, I don't find, as well. Like some, and now I know a lot of people just won't read it until after. They just want to meet the person. Blank canvas. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, think- I like the way you said um, it's just a space to debrief. Yeah. So that's kind of what you do. You let people speak until they find it 
what's going on for themselves, is it? Mm. Yeah. So I'm sure, the there's more skills three, to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> first three sessions will be yeah, get an initial history. We'll do like family genograms, find out who all's in the family, what happened. Um, they'll tell me a bit about why they've come today. Um, you know, sometimes it's oh, my wife's made me, or my husband's made me come here. And they don't really want to be there. So it's just trying to like show, listen to them and then show them what we could achieve together. So that could be, say, if, um, so for different presentations, it would be different interventions. So um, depression, anxiety, generally cognitive behavioral therapy is um, pretty much the gold standard for that. Um, If it's, uh, say, they present with, borderline personality or they need emotional regulation um that could be dbt so that's dialectical behavioral therapy that we would use um or if there's trauma there's a cool like emdrs i've even desensitization desensitization <laughs> that's my accent and reprocessing i wasn't going to help you finish I know. <laughs> none of us none of us were no, correct you're, like yeah. that. <laughs> you're on your own right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, lads. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, and it's EMDR, and it's really cool because it's kind of. Um, so I think was it yourself was talking about um, trauma and memories and things that are just sometimes etched. Um, yeah. In so that particular one is would be EMDR. So EMDR is um, it's kind of a growth momentum, but it's really really evidence-based and it's really cool and it shows um so when you do like um scans at the same time it shows that the whole premise of emdr is to change it from that emotional reaction to more of a thought process because it's the emotional pull of a memory that really can get us stuck sometimes so um yeah so we kind of assess and i can tell you a little bit more about trauma (laughs) memories as well but um finishing on your question was um yeah we'll kind of see what someone says there's debriefing, but there's, it's also quite constructive too. It's, um, yeah, you want to make sure someone's getting the intervention and skills that they need so that they don't feel like, um, so they feel empowered essentially. That EMDR, that's just reliving the moment, isn't it? You sit there and then it's like picture the moment and how did you feel during that moment? Then you take a breath and then it's like, how did you feel after that? Is that what you do in like eye movements? Like kind of, yeah, I I done something like that with oh, really? with a psychologist just a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. Was, I think it was EDMR that she was made me kept reliving the moment of an accident that I had. Oh. And then is that what it is? Yeah. It depends if um were you were she um I had an accident you, and I hurt my finger oh. and um I was having like nightmares and stuff and she could was be just EMDR. Yeah. Was she kind of just doing this? Like, were you, did you have to follow your eyes or anything with yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She was sitting across from me. Yeah, yeah. How did you find it? Um, I don't know. To be honest, yeah, I, I felt like I'd done it so much that I didn't know if I was telling her what she wanted to hear because I wanted yeah. to. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Do you still get nightmares about the accident? No. Okay. Yeah, so maybe it worked. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but it was all very fresh at the time, do you yeah. know what I mean? The accident had only happened, and then I was seeing the psychologist, and then it was like, right, I don't know, that was two and a half years ago, so maybe it just went away, or maybe it worked, I don't know. So that's the whole um, part of EMDR, is to just get into that kind of thought process and part of the brain. So how um, trauma memories work, and they can be triggered by a sight 
a sound, a smell of something that reminds you of that time, mm. taste, the touch of something. So if you were back in that exact same car, your mind's just going to go straight to that. Or if you had the accident in a red car and you've seen a red car driving fast, it could bring that back. So how the brain processes that information is that um, your brain tries to put on, stick, kind of stick to what it knows. So it'll try layer on, um, on top of what you already know. So your neural pathways. So if you have um, a great experience one time with... (laughs) I don't know, a holiday in Spain, anything that you see around Spain, that's going to be a positive association and that's going to build that neural pathway in your brain. If you hear Spanish music, you'll be like, oh, remember that time in Spain and it'll take you right back to that moment and you can almost like... Do you ever smell sun cream? Yeah. 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 Even when I'm at work putting on sun cream, I'm like, oh, I'm on the beach. (laughs) So if you think how powerful it is for the happy memories, it's bloody powerful for those dangerous memories because your body's primed to survive, right? So it will go into fight or flight really quick. So yeah, sun cream... If I hear like glass tinkling, I'll be like, oh, cocktail time. (laughs) You know, like all of those really positive things. But your brain kind of, if you think of it as a library, huge library, your brain will try and add in files to, you know, the right section. So we're talking about crime. It'll help us remember. So if we're talking about prison, crime, you'll think, oh, Shawshank Redemption. And it will file it in there. The brain feels really secure with that. Um, If it has a memory where your body kind of goes into that, fight or flight and has that physiological response of um, your heart rate speeds up, your mouth goes dry, your pupils dilate, then it doesn't really know where to process that information because it hasn't had an experience quite like it before. So when you start to see something similar, your brain is really trying to help you file that. So it'll bring that memory up and be like, oh, does that match with this? And it won't, but you'll have gone right back into that same space in the body that you felt a long time ago. And it's so distressing. Mm. It's so very distressing. So um, I don't know how I got on to that explanation of (laughs) trauma, but yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You you spoke about um, working in the professional space as well. Yeah. A bit of leadership and Mm. and things like that. So is that, is that kind of where I'd imagine that's a bit less stressful? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I have noticed it. Like I think, um, I was working at a place and um, I was working with the CEO um, and we were developing contracts with Rio Tinto to get psychologists on site. Um, you know, in all the mine sites where things are just um, hectic is probably an understatement. So I loved all that. I love um, business development, business innovation. How can we do things better? How can we make it more efficient? Um, and that's why I went on to a board in the first place because I thought, Whoa what's going on here? How come the boards of companies are making decisions and staff are just getting so pissed off and annoyed about things? Like, what? where's the mismatch of communication? So, um, yeah, that's why I joined a board thing. And then that's been great. It's been so, ex- like, you're developing, po- well, you're developing business strategy, the direction and the growth of the, the business for the next five years. You're, um, you know, working with the CEO, you're doing her re- performance reviews and things, um, which is fabulous. We've um, got a great CEO. So, um, yeah, I think it's so important, though, for, well, for me anyway, I feel like I love doing the one-to-ones and I just want to make sure that I'm always at my best when I'm doing one-to-ones with people because they deserve it, you know. They're putting their trust um, yeah. 
me. So I want to be able to do it. So part of that is I'll zoom out and I'll do a bit of work to see what I can change up top. So then whenever <coughs> I come back in, things are hopefully a little bit easier and better. Is that... Sorry, excuse me. Is psychology like medicine where you have to upskill constantly? Yeah. Is it is like ever changing where mm-hmm. it's new studies get published and, and, and things get Yeah. Yeah. Is that is that something? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You just don't wanna and again, like for our registration, so we're registered with um APRA where doctors, nurses, physios are all um registered with too. So it's very strict guidelines around that and what you have to do day to day and make sure that you're on top of things too. So um, like even though I'm taking, I suppose, a step back from doing one-to-ones at the moment to help develop teams and things, when I do private practice, I'll, you know, be I have to do so many hours per year and I have to do so much PD per year to ensure that you're you're staying current with all of those things, which is so important. But yeah, I love the leadership space as mentoring some people today as well. And there's a great, if anyone's ever stuck, you know, like they want to get into leadership or, you know, maybe they're doing, you know, maybe you were really good at your job and now you're a leader or a manager. I can't recommend um, Leadership WA enough. Like it's a really good course and you can get scholarships all the time to do it. But it's so good for networking and meeting people as well. So if you're ever stuck for leadership, then yeah, join them. Like it's so it's so easy. It's good fun and all, and you get to go to all these events, and it's so fun. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> happy days. Um, the, what about the sports psychology? Is that is that big in the industry? Mm-hmm. Do a lot of people move into that, or yeah, um, I'd say so. It's so fascinating. There, um, I think that's the one most people can relate through the, um, you know, the Netflix series and the and the yeah. you know Coach Carter and all these. <laughs> like, the, yeah. like really, I know he probably wasn't the psychiatrist, but he just what he done like yeah. to get the the best out of these people. Um, did you ever t- touch on that, or do you kind of does what you studied overlap? Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's a cool thing about psych. Like as soon as you have like a couple of core bases covered, those skills are really transposable. But um, yeah, Ryan Fredericks, he is my PT, and he's the president of. Um, oh, he's going to kill me. Uh, whatever the big muscly thing is. <laughs> we're, leave, we're leaving this all in. Yeah, no, please. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> well, like um, fifty or something? Is it? What's yeah, it? No. like you know, like the proper the forty-five. No, um, the, you know, like the, the competition and all the, the bodybuilding, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. INN or I something. At, oh. Yeah. I'm thinking of a bigger hole than I ever done. He always said that it's just horrendous what happens to people, like in terms of their mental health. Like pre comp, you know, your value is very much like in your body. You can see your body get more ripped. You know, you're all about that food. You feel good. And it's probably, um, I think we all know that that's one of the sports where when you're at your peak, you're the most unhealthiest because you're just so lean and you're putting your body under so much stress and duress. Um, then he was saying about how when you start to drift out of comp, you've done your competition and you start, you know, naturally rounding out again. And he was saying the impact that it has on like um, people that he sees is just horrendously just all the symptoms of anxiety and depression. They want to maintain that body, but that's just impossible. So there's so much work around that side as well. But in terms of like... Um, yeah, increasing your sports performance and increasing your ability for endurance. There's so many cool studies coming out in that in the moment, at the moment. Um, there's a lot of mindfulness and meditation, which you probably wouldn't necessarily think. Mm. I was at um, 
an event with Justin Langer and he was saying that he um, loves, loves, loves meditation. He just says it gets him in the zone. It's easier for him. It's better for him, his mental health. And I was kind of good on you for talking about mental health so openly and candidly. For I think for such like a, for cricket being like such a, yeah. like it's a real macho sport at times as well for him to talk about those things. And he was actually delightful. I went and talked to him after. I just wanted to say like, oh, you're just so good. Thanks for talking about like mindfulness because it just makes people come through the door to me a bit easier. And then the first thing he turned around to, to me was like, and said to me was, oh, how did I do? Was I okay? And I was like, yeah. oh, that's so sweet. Like that you are asking, like you didn't know who I was from yeah. whoever, but he just, you know, I think when people are like that, they've gone so much in their career and they're just saying like, did I do all right? And I think it's just so endearing. So Becca, just for example, just say like just 20 AFL teams, yeah. all bring in a psychologist. Yeah. And would this, would the person basically say the same thing to each team just say you had a general chat with the whole team all the players Mm. would they basically stay along the same lines or would each individual be different in the way they'd approach it yeah very different because you never know what's going on in the team culture and the team dynamic just at the start of the season before anything's been yeah (laughs) depends what's your motivation like everyone's wired differently right but everyone's motivation's different your motivation could be I need to get money for my team or for my family someone else's motivation is I want to be the best. And those are two very different motivations that's going to get you through when the going gets tough. Um, Yeah. So once I find out what someone's like motivation, what they want, is it that they are trying to escape or avoid something else? Or is it that they're just kind of, um, they don't want to be last. That's a different motivation that I'd have to work with too. Or are they doing it just for the team? Because if you're in it for the team and team play and then, um, I could use different skills to support, bring that out a little bit more and your motivation around that. So yeah, if I was doing cognitive behavioral therapy, it'd be some different strategies you'd have to use. But yeah, I think it comes down to like a lot of time people's motivation if they're in t- and they're intense, yeah. like around that. That's it's interesting. Good. That's a good answer. Yeah. So. Mm. <laughs> if I do say so. <laughs> <laughs> what's the, um, what's the current state of Ireland for, in terms of like, seeking to speak to someone and mm. access to psychologists and stuff it's pretty shit i heard that yeah yeah and in ireland um we had the lowest we had a non-existent suicide rate um because ireland was very catholic and the coroner just didn't declare it as suicide so we were one of the only countries in the world with nil for a suicide rate and when up until like the i think it's the late 80s or 90s it was as early like late as that i'll double check that stat but um yeah so for a long time people were just you know like death um accidental death so for ages we would just have not looked like on paper that there was anything going on but we all knew that there was a lot of suicide occurring because i think yeah they're just here i see so many families still torn apart by suicide but Alcohol is becoming a huge, huge number in kids and young people that I'm seeing that, you know, it might not necessarily be an, like an active, um, for example, suicide attempt. It could be more that um, neglect for life. Oh, well, mm. I'll, I'll walk out in front of this car. doesn't really matter if it hits me or not because that's leaving it up to fate. So I think it's getting, getting all of our stats in to showcase that all of this is occurring. And I think that that's got better. Mm. But I've seen... Um, I would have thought that the alcohol rate of people 
being alcoholics or whatever was going the opposite way. I would have thought our fathers and mothers or whatever would have drank more than us and our younger generations. There's definitely a movement for like not drinking anymore, which I think is fab. Like a lot of people are really role modeling that really well. Um, there's still chronic alcoholism yeah. and we're not calling it alcoholism, are we? Like we're just saying, oh, he's fond of a drink. <laughs> we all know like one person or a couple of people in our town who like, oh, he just likes the pub <laughs> or he's just a bar fly, you know? Um, but yeah, there's look, there's change going on. There's positive change. People are definitely more aware. Um, I think, um, there's a lot of counsellors about now. I'm not sure if there's a lot of psychologists or I think there's a few more in the NHS and I don't know about Southern Ireland. But do you have to jump through hoops to, like if you have to go through the NHS to see a counsellor? Yeah. Probably a rigmarole to get Isn't to it? sit down with someone, is it? Can be, yeah. But I think even for over here, it's tough. I remember, um, I don't know if you all have had like employee access programmes or EAP um, or... Yeah, counsel. so it's counselling through your work. You'll get about four sessions. And even that, like, and I know the benefits of it. They cancelled and rescheduled once. I was like, oh, that's on the back burner for another yeah. six months. Yeah. Like, And meanwhile, so I think it's really, really hard for anyone to have that motivation to kind of put themselves first as a priority. We're just so used to being um, last in the list of things to do. So, yeah, um, there's a long way to go in Ireland. But, yeah, I think there's room for change but I've just seen a lot of things recently where there's a lot of people who are chronically drinking who are young yeah. it's hard to say how what's the how do you access um psychiatry here in in mm. in, in Perth what's the how would you go about it so yeah to, uh, good to know um so you can pay like so you can pay for it privately you can book up or you can look up anyone online and you can pretty much book in straight away but that could be up to like 230 dollars an hour and that's a lot of money um the traditional or the main way is is if you um go to your gp um you can ask for the mental health care plan oh and you <laughs> that's just went on <laughs> and you get like five or six, you can get up to 10 sessions really um and you're paying a small rebate which is 80 dollars. i don't know how we're going to edit that bit out lights off get out <laughs> yeah i've got idea here today that didn't take much to distract me and i was like oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, was that me? <laughs> Big fat fingers hitting off the thing. Um, so yeah, the best way to go is your GP. <laughs> um, but there's also like, there's definitely a lot of places uh, where you can, you know, the chat lines and Odeva was on about me. It's in construction. Um, there's Ask Izzy, which is a website just for everything and anything. There's a lot of telehealth appointments. Not all are rebated, but you can also go to counsellors. That tends to be a little bit more affordable around 150 dollars an hour i think the price can put people off but i think um one of you're saying about there's lots of things to do to help maintain while you're maybe waiting on that too so like um laying off the drink because that just gives so much anxiety next day because you're going into a mini withdrawal and i should give myself this (laughs) feedback sometimes too but um there's also you know just getting out a little bit or um but very small things as well, like just making your bed for the day or um, there's a lot of breathing techniques that you can do in progressive muscle relaxation. And I remember whenever I first said that to like this older 
guy he was like it's like i'm not doing your hippie shit (laughs) (laughs) which is fair but there's a lot of like i'll use like a um an oximeter which gives you your heart rate so you can see what your heart rate's at beforehand and it's for that biofeedback and then we'll do the deep breathing progressive muscle relaxation and you can see what you've reduced it down to so it's nice to be able to be like oh okay it's not just hippie stuff mm-hmm. um but yeah there's loads of things like that what Becky, else you mentioned about multiple personality disorder yeah let's go just what why is that so there's a couple of things with that there's um borderline personality disorder i think they've renamed um multiple personality disorder i did see it once but he was um it was after it was drug induced psychosis, particularly. It wasn't quite, but is, he was changing left, right, and center. I was like, "Whoa!" Is it as dramatic? As, there was a movie out recently with a different. It's not as dramatic as that, or is it just? Or the, is it as the guy as that, that I had seen? Um, yeah, it was really dramatic. Like, dramatic. He was kind of, and he could have been playing out something that was going on in his mind, or you know, he might have seen. I couldn't make sense of it, and he probably. Um, you know, on reflection, it wasn't appropriate that he was in psychology for that because, you know, there was no back and forth. Um, so we, we kind of had to end the session a bit earlier, but he was definitely, he was sitting down playing one part and then he would stand up and play a different part. And it was, um, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> and it was a really violent one. I was like, <laughs> where's the dress <laughs> alarm? <laughs> yeah. And he has it like, yeah, it, I won't forget that one. Um, because I was like, oh, this is where, the real is, psychology. I love where it. Where does that stem from? Where does that come from? Like, Here's there's a lot of trauma, yeah. like drug and alcohol then to kind of... So drug and alcohol, I suppose that's a really important part to note is that that's kind of like a a way to manage things that have happened. This is, it's a coping technique. It's a coping skill. And for maybe a little while, it could have been really useful for that person. But obviously now that's become the main issue because, you know, it impacts um, your brain function, your frontal lobe, and that's important for our kind of decision-making thoughts, how we kind of be human, like our emotional and um, linguistic process and too. So, um, yeah, I think drug and alcohol, it's often like, why, why, why are they so much into that? But there's just always such a backstory to it, um, which is always really sad. But yeah, mm. he, for him, I would say, um, I never got to the bottom of it because it was just, he would always turn up. And do you know what? This is the thing I loved. Like he was always turned up on time <laughs> and for the appointment at the right time and date. I was like, you are doing so well. Like, but <laughs> you're just not speaking sense <laughs> to me. And I was so impressed with that. I was it like, wow. It like- reminds me of Joe. He always turns up on time. <laughs> Doesn't speak much sense either. <laughs> <laughs> then it changed the personality. <laughs> we signed a confidentiality agreement. Can't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's always fascinating. I just think it's such a privilege to be able to chat with people and understand but yeah not not as much as hollywood like you'll see that um yeah but in whenever i was in slovakia we had a really interesting case um of a 13 year old boy presented to the adolescence ward and he was speaking an entirely different language and he was able to communicate that it was angel's tongue so he was actually living in a like a religious community, you can call it a cult, you can call it what you want, but they had um, coached him to speak in this language and everyone spoke in this language. So trying to communicate with like the resources and the mental health team um, was so interesting. And then he was experiencing what they termed at the hospital as grandiose delusions. So our delusions of grandeur too, um, so that, you know, he was like, I'm the next Messiah. 
I'm the next one. You have to listen to me. Which, do you know what? Back in the day, who knows how all of these things would have been perceived. And that's definitely a very westernized lens. Because in India, if you have, for example, schizophrenia, where, you know, you hear voices, um, you might have some movements to kind of accompany that too, like quite sporadic or quirky ones. In India, they kind of, they can champion that at times. And because it's more of a cult, like collectivist culture, you have to be part of the community or else you're not going to survive. So people are still kind of managing things. Whereas I thought it was just so interesting then when this person came in, in Slovakia that, you know, the psychiatrist was our head psychiatrist. Um, I'll never forget him. He was, uh, yeah, mm. probably not the friendliest and probably not the most client focused. Like I think he really took it as a challenge to this boy just to try and understand what was going on. And we also had a couple of people who had their IQ was, um, you know, in the top quarter uh, percentile sorry um and the psychiatrist at the time would really challenge that and I think he almost thought it was like oh I don't know very interesting dynamic but anyway we always treated with the um when they came to psychology as well with a lot of respect but this kid he ended up um he just went back to his family because his family was there and ready for him to come back so yeah it's interesting it's fascinating how the world works sometimes mm, sure it is isn't it do you do you um would you have a message out there for for people that are kind of like you said not putting themselves first thinking that yeah. the money is too much or you know people that did want to go and see a psychiatrist you know is there something you you, you tell them to kind of yeah coax them to do it i think that's like um part of it too like i think getting the foot through the door the first time it's nerve-wracking You know, you're sitting there, someone's, you know, focusing only on you. And if you feel like, you know, you haven't been heard lately or you haven't been listened to lately, that can be quite intimidating. But I think it's, um, you know, we're all highly trained. We have to go through so much regulation and registration to get there that you're always treated with respect. And while we were maybe doing um, things to see how, what best like intervention to use to support you, you can ask us any of that. And for myself, I'm an open book with these things too. So if, um, you know, they ask me about like any questions, I'm happy to answer any of those things too, because sometimes I think it's fair that you might want to know a bit about who's at the other side. Sometimes you absolutely don't want to know anything and that's absolutely normal too. And I think just the experience of um, your first session, in my experience, and seeing and getting feedback from people, you do always feel a little bit lighter after it because you've kind of, it's not just so pent up. And that has a real like impact on the body too as well, like holding all of that all mm. the time. What I would say about psychology is as well, nothing phases me whenever I'm in that room. So you can tell me your deepest, darkest hurts and, you know, things that have happened and we're right there to support you. So that's, that's good to know. That's that's reassuring to know for people. You know that there's no judgment when you go in there. Absolutely not. And no. Yeah. It's a shame that money comes into it. Yeah. Isn't it? People probably want help. But like you were saying with the GP, you can get like four or five free therapy sessions a year or something, can Ten. you? Ten. Ten. Yeah. That's huge. It's a rebate. So I think you'll have to pay like sometimes around $80 towards it. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that today, you know, the cost of psychology and all of those things. And it, it probably, it, it's enough to put people off, but the feeling that you'll get like that investment, 
um, to support yourself going forward is just phenomenal. Like if I hadn't have got counseling whenever I was maybe 16, who knows what would have happened, you know, like that way. And it can really just shape and form what you want to do with your life going forward and how you want to help people. And, um, yeah. Do you think it would help kids speaking to psychologists when they're 12, 13 in school, maybe Mm. frequent, not frequently, but maybe once a month or that, like, would that help or, or is it, or is that a financial cost that schools are not willing to pay? Or? Well, they had guidance counsellors, didn't they? Yeah. It's more, it's more of it. That's more of it. Like, K- what do you want to do with K- life, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's more of it, like, what, what direction do you want to go in, or, or subjects you want to take, or college, maybe. But mm. You're too cool when you're in school. Anyway, you probably wouldn't take it seriously. You know, yeah, sure. But you might get that one kid that does, you know? That's the... Well, that's it. You just never know what's happening behind closed doors. And sometimes the happy kid... It could be the one who's got a plan to mm. go out and um, whatever. Um, or you could get the kid that's maybe the shy one, quiet one. You might find out that there's a lot of family domestic violence going on there. You know, and that's an outlet for them to like discuss all of those things and all the fears that they're feeling and all the worries they've been holding. I'd love to see it. Like Australia's pretty good. Like there are psychologists in most schools, um, which is really good. They can help with assessments and diagnosis and things. Um I'm sure you know, like, I'm sure there's studies. Well, say you just have a lifetime of shit and it's just, every time it's just shit and then you hit, start hitting 40, 50. Like, are you heading towards a nervous breakdown or like a stroke or something? There's, um, oh, what's the name of it now? There's, a, was it the trauma inventory? And it's kind of just scores like, have you experienced this, 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 this? Some people could tick every box. Yeah. And that's everything from like um, abuse in every shape or sh- form, financial, emotional, um, physical and sexual abuse to like, you know, cr- uh, car crashes, um, you know, unexpected things happen, unexpected deaths or, unexpe- you know, like all of the this whole mm-hmm. kind of immigrations, actually one of them too, like when you're trying to set up as well. Um, there is a real physiological link to um, stress and your body as well. So, you know, like ever sometimes when you get like a creaked neck for some reason, you're like, oh, I must have slept weird. Often that could be um, because we start to, to breathe a little bit more shallow. So we're not getting the deep breath because our body's in that almost fight or flight response. So we're not um, expanding our rib cage, which makes our intercostal muscles a bit more tight so it's more likely to kind of pull the muscle there so when you start deep breathing again it kind of release relaxes all of that too and I think even in the um the oximeter that I use for people just even to see your blood pressure before you do some breathing and then after you do some breathing like yeah if you have that compound stress and it keeps building and building there's going to be there's going to have to be some outlet. It doesn't mean you're necessarily 100% yeah, yeah, bona fide going to yeah. do that way, but you might be using some other strategies that are unhealthy, like drinking every evening. Two glasses of wine. Going for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your sleep then might be put off. Sleep's a huge <laughs> conversation yeah. in itself. And once yeah. you start losing your sleep, as parents know as well, like we don't function as well. We might put the phone in the fridge we just can't you know <laughs> we don't know where we're at so um yeah it's just and then try and think of that when you've got a stressful job as well in place and um then you might start to think internalizing that is that me am i shit what have i been doing and it's those unhelpful thoughts when they come and we don't have them consciously they just kind of 
they can sneak up on us. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, it's been great. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, yeah, uh, I haven't put my phone in the fridge lately, but <laughs> <laughs> not, not in the last while. But um, no, look, it's it's been excellent. Um, any message for anyone out there? Or? Just, well, I suppose um, if you, yeah, it, it's, look, it's very tough in terms of mental health at the moment there are tons of support places out there um you can you know if you do need a consultancy i've got the business so i can come into your workplace and have a talk about those things but just know that the person who is supporting you or if you go to a psychologist or a counselor they've lived through things they want to support you as best they can they're not just doing it um for just a job that they've fallen into it's a real career of passion as well like and you want to support people and see come out they might see them come out the other side um and they do they absolutely do Mm. it's brilliant all right Mm -hmm. thanks becca thanks very much becca no worries episode 21 is done